listening to the coffee hour i'm andy bates i'm sarah golseth it is monday that means it is time for mental health monday we'll chat with deaconess heidi gaiman in just a moment thanks to concordia university wisconsin for supporting the coffee hour find out more about concordia university wisconsin at cuw.edu live uncommon it is time for mental health monday with deaconess heidi gaiman as we dig back into finding hope from brokenness to restoration good morning heidi morning Happy Monday. Okay, we are one week out from Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. So this chapter today is going to help us prepare for Valentine's Day, right? (laughs) It should, right? It should give us a foundation for like, why celebrate love? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) There will be no gift ideas in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) No shopping recommendations. All right. Very good. So uh, if you haven't guessed it, we're taking a look at romantic relationships and how does brokenness impact romantic relationships. And also going to take a look at forgiveness and grace and what does Jesus have to do with our romantic relationships. So with that in mind, is there a difference between how a biblical worldview understands romantic relationships and how the rest of the world uh, has this worldly view of romantic relationships? You know, I think it's so interesting because like everything else, it has to do with our family culture and what we've been taught, right? So I think that's maybe a little too broad to be able to say that there's any significant difference. But I think what is very different is the foundation that we have instead of taking stabs in the dark (laughs) at what it is, right? Like, I think we have somewhere to go to understand it a little bit better than if we don't have Christ in our life. If we don't have the Bible in our lives, we're just guessing. We're like, oh, someone said this one time and it was a good idea about romantic relationships. And so I think that foundation gives us that sense of safety, actually, that we were Mm -hmm. talking about in the last few episodes for those relationships. And it also helps us, I think not feel the anxiety so strongly that comes with the dating life, if you will. Uh, Now, I say that obviously hesitantly because I don't think we do turn to the Bible. We don't necessarily turn to Scripture and have a very good understanding of that foundation. Instead, we do kind of leave that to the work of family life to teach us what romantic relationships should look like and maybe an occasional book here or there. And so I think that The more we talk about these things in families with the Bible in hand, with our um, theological understandings of who God is and who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, what their work is, then the better we will feel as we move into romantic relationships because we have a better understanding of who we are and who God is and, and maybe what he wants for our life. Now, you specifically titled this romantic relationships rather than marriage. Why well, go for this broader topic in the mid and kind of along the along, along the lines of the themes of of brokenness in this mm-hmm. book? Yeah, I think I did actually when I had the draft of it, when I started writing it, I titled it marriage and I started talking about those things. And then I realized, well, there's so much broken in the fact that we don't talk about it. It's like there's dating and the concept of dating is kind of left for the secular world. And then in the Christian realms, we're kind of like, well, we don't really talk about that, you know, (laughs) as if dating itself is a secular idea. And I think that 
The Bible gives us so much freedom, and that's an important takeaway from this, is that there's a lot of freedom in our relationships, in romantic relationships, and marriage as well. And so there is no course book in the Bible on how to uh, find a spouse, whether you should have a spouse, like what that might look like, what the process is for that. Instead, there are some concepts that we're going to talk about later in the episode about, I think, real vague processes of how God created relationships and then what that looks like in our lives in some healthy ways because they're filled with grace and because they're filled with Him. But beyond that, I think, you know, should we date? Should we have arranged marriages? Should we like kiss before we date or before before we date? (laughs) Should we kiss before we get married? You know, yada, yada, yada. Purity culture has been a thing in other denominations. And so I would say that there is a space in Lutheranism where we need to be very clear about the freedom that we believe in with boundaries, right? And we hold those things together in a beautiful way in Lutheranism that some people haven't had available in their Christian upbringing. And so this particular topic, I felt like as I dove into those ideas in the manuscript, needed to be broader than marriage. We needed to start earlier and then also return to it because guess what is very common is blended families. And if we're going to talk about blended families, then there's this in-between, if you will, even of marriage to marriage. And so, yeah, can you hear in everything I'm saying how complex that is? And so I think allowing for the freedom of the complexity was really important in the title. So where do we then first see this brokenness or the impact or consequences of sin on marriage and romantic relationships? Yeah, let's let's go with that broader term of brokenness, the fact that sin exists in us, it exists in other people, those things will interact in our relationships, but also that there's original sin. And so when we look around us and try to figure out dating, if you will, or try to figure out romance and companionship and marriage and all these things, it will feel a little broken. The confusion, if you will, is part of the brokenness that I'm constantly, as a human being on the planet, trying to look for the right way to do these things. And, you know, in many, many ways, I don't believe there is a right way. There's knowing God, seeking Him. Um, asking him to help you know yourself and the people around you, and then moving in that with the word of God at hand. And so I think that, that that anxiety, again, that we get about not knowing how to go about these things is part of the consequence of brokenness because there's that separation in our relationship with God that Christ does heal, but that we experience in great imperfection in this world then when I myself am moving through dating and trying to find a companion, my inner stuff is brokenness is working where I'm like, I want someone to validate me. I want to be loved. I don't always seek that in in Christ first. Instead, I like want it from someone else. We want to look really good to the people so we're not always authentic, if you will. So those kinds of things. And then that other person's brokenness will also come in with all those layers. Sometimes we see it in deeper consequences, sexual sin, of course, but also even, I think, misunderstanding of our sexual 
sexuality and not having had conversations about that in our families. And so that is all very confusing for us. And then so on and so forth. So the brokenness is is great. And I think that it's no more stronger than in the word confusion in this particular topic. Mm-hmm. So then how do we, how does Christ affect forgiveness and freedom in our lives and relationships? Where does that come in? I think, first of all, having that foundation of grace, that when I move forward through this very confusing thing, I have a foundation to stand on. I know I am loved. I know I'm cared for. I know that God has plans and a hope and a future for me. All of those promises are so important so that we can enter into it with grace. Also, again, I think Christ died for us, rose for us, brought salvation into our life, not so that we can spin our wheels and try to find the right way to do things. (laughs) You know, I think... In some ways, we have our own breed of works righteousness when we believe that God wants so much from us that we better get it right the first time. Instead, I think Christ's death on the cross and the fact that like, my sin is covered, my stain is forgiven, then as Martin Luther said, and I don't want to take him out of context, but I think this is the accurate context for this phrase, is sin boldly. (laughs) Go forward and know that, you know, we want to be healthy people. We want to make choices that support that wellness. However, we likely will not always. In fact, we will very, very likely mess up but Christ has covered that too, and I'm going to live in that. And I actually think that juxtaposition helps us make better choices in the long run instead of that heavy weight of God's will and his His like worry about how I'm living my life. Like That is not a God I know, and I don't think Scripture supports that. Instead, I think this is the context where we grab onto that inner Martin Luther and say, I'm going to step forward in the freedom and forgiveness that Christ gives me. And then I'm also going to contemplate that freedom and forgiveness and what that means in these relationships as well. So I can make the choices that I need to make. Earlier in the in the opening, when we were talking about the difference between a biblical worldview and the, the worldly understanding of romantic relationships, something else that you said sparked this thought for me as well. How does culture impact our understanding of romantic relationships and marriage? And then how does that make a difference or impact our our room or space for for grace and forgiveness mm-hmm. and and freedom where where does culture play a role in this as well absolutely i think we like to compare right our culture with other cultures especially in this topic and so essentially when it comes down to it i think one of the biggest comparisons is that like dating versus no dating or then kind of the extreme of that is the arranged marriage if you will And I think that every culture has a way to navigate these romantic relationships. And so, first of all, it's very helpful when we're aware of our cultural lens, right? What does the culture around me like believe or teach, whether verbally or non-verbally, about romantic relationships? And when we can identify that, then we can also identify how we would like to move in that, whether that is counterculturally or with some flow within the culture, picking up some pieces, if you will, or, you know, just 
going <laughs> with the culture at large. And I think none of us want to go with the culture at large, <laughs> like in general, <laughs> like we want to be able to mindfully make some choices, especially with deep attachment relationships that romantic relationships are in our lives and the impact that they have. And so being aware of that cultural lens is going to be very helpful. Is one culture correct about dating? I don't think so. Like, I think we're all <laughs> a hot mess trying our best in this arena. And so, but there are definitely pieces of health in each of those cultures and pieces of unhealth in each of those cultures or supportive health, if you will, and unsupportive health for our attachments. And so, yeah, I think it, it's good to be aware of the cultural lens instead of comparing the cultural lens. Hmm. We're taking a look at the topic of romantic relationships in Finding Hope from Brokenness with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman for Mental Health Monday on The Coffee Hour. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others. To live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world. To live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Mental Health Monday. We are chatting with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration is her book. And this week's topic, romantic relationships, just in time so that we can understand everything we need to for Valentine's Day, right? <laughs> that is, that is all the hope. We are uh, romance for Lutherans today. Oh, boy. <laughs> no. Yes, yes. Cheesy music underneath that too. So okay, our next—I feel like our <laughs> next brother. series after Finding Hope should be what we just said: romance for Lutherans. No, I'm just joking. Oh boy, <laughs> with some really cheesy music to accompany <laughs> that. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> what we're here for. All, <laughs> all right, I, I enjoyed reading this chapter, and one statement that really stuck out for me, and I hope you can elaborate on this: we bring one another relational safety when we offer grace-filled spaces to work out the place of romantic intimacy in each of our unique lives and when we avoid making assumptions about the place of romantic intimacy in anyone's life. Oof. <laughs> you know, in Lutheranism uh, in particular, and if, if other people are listening, I'd be very curious as to how this is experienced in other uh, denominations or with other like specific worldviews, but we're really good at cheerleading marriage. I think that's actually like one of our strengths is cheerleading marriages, being quiet about marriage in and its place in people's lives. However, one of the side effects of that is that we can elevate it so mm -hmm. much that other people that are unmarried or are working out the process of whatever this romantic intimacy is in their lives can feel less than in our spaces. And I say it in Altogether Beautiful. I'm not sure it comes up in Mighty and Mysterious, but in this book as well, later on that same page, I say all of that said marriage is unique is a uniquely intimate relationship among adults, even while it is not a superior intimate relationship. 
And so, you know, attachment comes in a lot of different ways. <clears throat> and in, in research, we talk about romantic attachment, not necessarily marriage attachment. And I think because that recognizes just the nuances of people's lives and the way they experience romantic intimacy and whether that leads to marriage or not. That said, we understand that intimacy is safest romantically within marriage. <clears throat> And I, there's biblical reason for this, but I do think that, again, we have, we have put, I guess, like we have white knuckled this so much that it's very challenging for people to have the conversation of what intimacy should look like outside of marriage because we're like, well, it's just intimacy in marriage and that's all we got. When that's not what the Bible says, so we have to be careful about that. Instead, it is safer within marriage. And what does that safety look like? What boundaries does God set up? for our emotions, for our commitments, and also our sexuality. And so I think we want to build grace-filled spaces, and a lot of that is actually having this conversation instead of making assumptions about what romance should look like in someone else's life. And we do this best on a one-on-one -on -one basis. You know, I write a lot, and you can find a lot of blogs about romantic intimacy and about marriage on the um, Concordia Publishing House blog. You can also find some on my website under the relationships page. Dave and I, my husband and I have a podcast called Life in Relationships where we answer questions of intimacy and relationships. And some of this comes up there. However, those are really challenging arenas for me to give any specific ideas for someone because it is so unique for each person. So these conversations are really best had with friends and family members and, you know, fellow church members, whatever, in one-on-one in -on -one situations where you can get a handle on what's happening. You can share your story and witness someone else's story sharing and then move forward with, well, what does God have to say about that and wrestle with that together? Together, ask curious questions together. Um, I think that is one of the most important things we can do to make the church also look different in our culture today is to be places where people can wrestle with those things and have those grace-filled spaces because there's nowhere to just get answers about this in the world today, I feel like. Mm -hmm. It's like we're living together as the body of Christ and building up relationships among each other. Uh. Yeah, like authentically. <laughs> anyway, we can do this. Yeah, and I mean, I understand that involves some, you know, conversations that are maybe unco uncomfortable. But again, I really appreciate the freedom of Lutheranism here. Like, we can talk about sex, everybody. We can do it because we are free to have that conversation and believe that God cares about our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that he's invested there, and, and that there are boundaries, but at the same time, there's a whole lot of freedom. You can see how that makes it a different conversation than might be had elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about marriage for for just a minute, not as the, as you say, the superior, but as a unique, a very unique romantic relationship. What makes marriage such a mystery to us? Yeah, this is one of my favorite <laughs> places to utilize the biblical Greek because, you know, Ephesians 5 isn't the only place it talks about marriage. And let me say that again slowly. Ephesians 5 is not the only place that talks about marriage. I like to encourage people, whether it's marriage or romantic relationships, look at the whole Bible. There's lots to be said in other places. And so I think that's important. However, Ephesians 5 is one place where we see this real unique word 
attributed to marriage, which is the mega mysterian. The mega mysterian is just fun to say, try it on your size. <laughs> but it's this reflection that everything Paul, the apostle, who's the author of Ephesians 5, talks about. And I actually believe even Ephesians 4, which is the relationship of the church on earth together and Christ himself, and then also among the members, and then marriage and family and all that he talks about in Ephesians 5, and the husband and wife in particular, all of that is a massive mystery, essentially, of how it works and also especially how it is reflecting Christ and his relationship with the church, God and his relationship with us as human beings. So that mega, I just love that, like, even in the Greek, it's like mega mystery. (laughs) It does feel like a mega mystery. And so (laughs) I encourage people not to take Ephesians 5 out of context, like read the whole book and be like, how are relationships mysterious? Because they really are. And how do they mysteriously reflect God and his relationship with us as people, Christ and his work that he's done for us, the Holy Spirit and its existence, all of that good stuff. Okay, so then to answer your actual question within that context is how does marriage represent, and the language that scripture uses is Christ and his bride, the church. We don't. And I think that's a cool place to be in a marriage is like we do this really amazing thing, which is reflect Christ and his relationship with his bride. So let's talk about that. Let's discover that. Let's, you know, like live in that and what that might look like. And I think that's such a healthy place for a marriage to be, to understand that it's not just about us, that there's something bigger going on here. And that can be a really powerful conversation I've noticed for couples to kind of flip the spiritual switch, if you will, because marriage is a spiritual thing. And that intimacy grows when we discover that together. And I could see how we, we really could have taken this as a uh, man on the street story. And we could have taken this very question to the greeting card aisle. All the husbands, they're looking for Valentine's <laughs> Day cards this week. In what ways is marriage a mystery? Could you imagine oh, the answers no. we would have gotten? Let's go out of the, the <laughs> we only have a couple of minutes. We have like three minutes for this last question. So sorry, because it's really a big question that needs to be unpacked. Tell us about the, you mentioned, you bring up the three areas of marriage in this chapter when you're talking about romantic relationships. Yeah. What are those three areas and what can you tell us in about three minutes? <laughs> no, and since we have limited time, I would say we can put some links from the Concordia Publishing House <laughs> blog in the show notes because I talk about each of these a little more strategically, if you will, in a few blogs over there at Concordia Publishing House. But the three areas of marriage, and this is not limited to these three, but I do think they're three we need to give attention to, if you will, is leaving and cleaving, which we could definitely do an entire segment on that. Um, (laughs) The work of marriage, which is like the effort of marriage, right? We're not like working for our salvation here, but there is um, work to be done because marriage is a daily process. There's chores, there's there's um, communication, there's all this stuff that goes into it. And so the effort of marriage and then the storms of marriage, the things that make uh, marriage feel heavy at times, the things that throw our marriages for a loop and the place of God in that, you know, how, what is God doing when our marriage is suffering or when we, the members of the marriage are suffering and struggling. And so I think those three areas all 
are good work. You know, they're good places for us to be. Again, that God does have some things to say about each of them. We can learn some boundaries, if you will, in each of those things from Scripture. However, there's a lot of freedom in each of those things. And so it's kind of cool to discover how God uses each of these things to to craft us, to mold us and sanctify us in the Holy Spirit, and also how He helps or how he utilizes these things for us to know him more and to see his work in our lives clearer. So I don't think we have time for all of them. Which one would you like to hear a couple thoughts on? Which one stands out to you guys? For me, the leaving and cleaving concept, and it I mean, that even sounds like biblical terms. That, it is, yeah. That, mm-hmm. I did yeah. make them up, Andy. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, leaving and cleaving. Okay. Okay. So one thing I would say about leaving and cleaving is that I have a an independent belief that this concept is actually for all people. Um, and uh, it it is associated with marriage. However, I think we even talked about that maybe in one episode. Maybe we didn't get to that about how, especially in our current culture, our Western culture, young adults leave. Like everyone leaves. Like we all mm-hmm. have a family of origin and then we leave, right? And so you can go to the family of origin episode for that. But the cleaving part is that one fleshness of marriage happening. And so that happens in a moment. And you can find a lot about this in my book, Altogether Beautiful. It's a mega mysterian, right? It happens in a moment before God and witnesses and our our marriage is complete, right? There's this mysterious thing that comes together and it's called one flesh by God. However, cleaving is also, it's a both and, it's a constant work. It's always happening in our marriage. We are turning toward each other instead of away. And cleaving is a cool biblical term about people coming together, right? People connecting and and uniting continuously instead of separating. And in Mark, Jesus says, like, the words we use in a marriage ceremony, like, let man not separate. Cleaving is really the the polar opposite of that. Let man come together. And so I think that's a really helpful term that we can embrace and learn a lot from biblically. Like what is cleaving? What does that look like on the daily? What is the concept of one flesh? I have so many people in pre-marriage counseling ask like, what? what is one? Like, what does that even mean? And, you know, I think leaving and cleaving leaves us to wrestle with both the one fleshness and creating that and, and, or maybe acknowledging what God has created often and and regular, but then also self-differentiation and being able to still be individuals to some degree. We aren't so united that we lose ourselves. Like God does still see us as individually redeemed people of God. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot in leaving and cleaving, but it's a discussion again worth having. So if you want to learn more about leaving and cleaving the work of marriage and the storms of marriage, you can check out those blogs or you can pick up a copy of Finding Hope from Brokenness <laughs> to Restoration from Concordia Publishing House or just about anywhere you get books. Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration by Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. Great stuff. Heidi, always great to chat with you. We'll catch up again next Monday, which is uh, Valentine's Day, by the way. Because mm-hmm. so, uh, it's not just for romance anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Gilseth. 
The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.